Good morning. How are we doing today? Everybody's good. Good to hear. Good to hear. I'll explain the golf club in a second. So don't be afraid. Everybody is safe. Uh, hey, we're glad that you're here in this place today. Thanks for coming in person. And all of you that are at home and online, about 85% of our church is still joining us online. We look forward to sometime in the very near future bringing everybody back here. We're excited to do that, but uh, we're just glad we can be together like this this morning. I want to read some names to you, and some of these will be familiar. Some of them you maybe have not heard of before, but Shea Guevara, uh, Asma Mafus, Gandhi, Kathleen Neal Cleaver, Toussaint Levatore, Nelson Mandela, George Washington, Martin Luther King Jr., Sun Yat Sen. Again, some of these names are familiar to you, uh, others may not be, but if you were to look at their lives, every single one of these individuals was, was a revolutionary. Now, whether you agree or disagree with their political statements and, and what they believed in, that, that's not the point of this. What, what I want you to think about is, here is a group of people who had these incredible beliefs, right? Beliefs for their people to fight against the norms of the time, to fight against injustices, maybe to fight against leaders, and they were willing to die for what they believed in. But if you were to look at each one of these revolutionaries, they were pretty confined. Uh, they were confined to a people group, they were confined to a country, a, a region, maybe even a time period. And, and if you really were to think about it, their impact was was kind of small. But one time in history, we have this revolutionary who led a revolution that, that actually changed a people group, it changed a country, it changed a, a region. But this revolutionary's influence actually went into all of humanity. And for the last 2,000 years, the ideals and the beliefs of this revolutionary, who we know as Jesus, continues to this day. Because Jesus believed in something, and he, he fought against the norms of the time, and of course he died for those beliefs. And yet that impact is still felt from us today. And so today we begin this series, as we've talked about, called The Revolution, this revolution that Jesus led. And so over the course of the next few weeks as we head into Easter, we're going to look at these events in Jesus' life that, that brought about change that still influence you and I to, to this time today. Uh, Jesus' revolution hit against politics and wealth and families and souls. And today we're going to talk about religion. We're going to talk about this religious revolution that Jesus led, and we're going to look at a scripture and a, a conversation that happened in Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, starting with verse 37, here's what it says. It says, as Jesus was speaking, one of the Pharisees invited him home for a meal. So he went in and took his place at the table. His host was amazed to see that he sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony required by Jewish custom. I have in my hand today a golf club, and uh, I know we have some weekend warriors here at The Journey. You like to go out, and you, you like to play, you enjoy the game of, of golf, but uh, there, there's this one place uh, on a golf course, and it's, it's a sand trap, okay? Uh, also called a bunker, and if you're not familiar with golf, they kind of dig this big hole, and they supposed to put sand in it. Some places, they're really cheap, they just put dirt in it, but they hopefully put sand in it, and the idea is, is that when you get to the, the sand trap, you're, you're going to hit the ball out, right? But if you're a weekend warrior, you probably walk into the sand trap and, and you take a few practice swings in the sand. You want to get your swing right. And then finally you get up to your ball and then you swing and you hit it and it 
goes like five feet and kind of rolls back to the same spot. And you're like, oh, man, you probably say a few words. And, and then you do it again and it does the same thing. You do it like five times. You make sure nobody's looking. You grab the ball. You throw it up on the green. You're like, hey, one shot. That's all it took was one shot. We cheat, right? But, um, but, but that's what we would do if we're just kind of weekend warriors. We're just kind of playing for the fun of it. There are actually golf rules that are very specific to when you hit a ball in the sand trap, when you hit in the bunker. There are certain actions you can take and you, you can't take. In fact, we're going to put the rules up here on the screen for if you hit the ball into uh, the bunker. I mean, you, you can't walk into the bunker and kind of grab or, or, or drag your club along. If, if you do, it's a penalty. You, you can't get up there into the bunker like, hey, I'm going to take a few practice swings. And, and you swing a few practice swings in the sand. Anytime your, your club hits the sand, uh, that's a penalty. Hey, even if you're addressing your ball and you put your club down in the sand, hey, guess what? That's the penalty. The only time you can hit the sand at all is when you're actually taking your swing. Now, if you're just out to have a good time, you're just out to have fun, you really don't care about the rules of golf. But the USGA, who's kind of the ruling governing body of golf, says, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to make it difficult for you. You can only get up there, and there's certain things that you can and can't do, and, and we just want you to hit that ball one time. We just want you to touch the sand once. And then, and only then, can you actually play the game of golf the way it's supposed to be played. Because the USGA has kind of said, hey, we're going to put these extra burdens on you. Though what is a sand bunker? What do the USGA's rules, those burdens, and, and what do Jesus, what do they all kind of have in common? Well, it takes us to what we're reading today. Jesus is having this dinner conversation with this Pharisee who has been asked to come over and, and have dinner. And, and, and he's, he's meeting with this Pharisee and if you're not familiar with the Pharisees, they're actually attorneys, they're lawyers. Uh, they knew the, the Jewish laws. I mean, they, they knew them better than anybody else. They knew them verbatim. And, and they actually belonged to a political party that was a religious political party known as the Pharisees. They saw their job was to make sure the Jewish people followed all the rules. There was no cheating. You, you couldn't mess up. You, you had to follow these, these rules or else. And so Jesus gets invited to eat with this Pharisee, and he walks in, and he sits down at the table, and he doesn't wash his hands. Now, I know there's some kids in here today, and there's some kids at home that are watching. So you can go back to your parents like, hey, I'm trying to follow Jesus. I really am, and I don't need to wash my hands, Mom and Dad. Jesus didn't do it. I'm going to let you guys debate that at home or, or here a little bit later on. But, um, but Jesus wasn't debating about washing hands. This wasn't the, the reason that he just sits down. There, there was this very specific set of rules and steps that you had to follow every time before you would eat. And here's Jesus who's actually breaking that rule. I, I, I want to actually share with you what that hand-washing ritual looked like. I, let me give you these steps today. Here's the step number one. Make sure your hands are clean. So before you clean your hands, your hands got to be clean, okay? So make sure they're clean before you clean. But here we go. Step two, fill a washing cup with enough water for both hands. Step three, if left-handed, begin with the left hand. If you're right-handed, begin with the right hand. Step four, pour water twice over the dominant hand, then twice over the other hand. Step five, make sure the water covers the whole hand up to the wrist. Step six, separate your fingers so the water touches your whole hand. Step seven, after washing your hands, grab a towel to dry your hands. Step eight, while you are doing this, recite a blessing. So there was a specific blessing that you had to pray while you were doing this the whole time. And then step nine, the hardest one, do not speak until you eat your first bite. And so you would go through this whole ritual and you had to go sit down. And until you ate that first bite, you couldn't talk to anyone. 
we're kind of big in the hand washing these days, right? Because of the pandemic. Uh, and this, the instructions are pretty simple, you know, uh, soap, uh, warm water, 20 seconds, take care of that and, and dry them and then go about your day. But for the Jewish people, this was this ritual they had to go through every time they ate. Now, Jesus isn't leading a, a hygiene revolution, okay? Uh, that, that's not why he is, is doing this and why he's kind of making this point to these Pharisees. He's like, there's this issue here. And, and it's not hand washing, but it's, it's this ritual that you have created. It's this extra burden that you are putting on the Jewish people. It's like, hey, you want to eat? <laughs> you you want to do what God wants you to do? Here's the deal. You go through this process. And oh, by the way, if you don't go through this process, guess what? At that point, you will be labeled a sinner. See, see, Jesus is trying to come to these Pharisees and say, the most important thing to you is your power. The most important thing to you is your religion. Like God's not really that important to you at all. It's just this religion that you've put together. It's these burdens that you're putting on the people. It's not about following God. You want these people to follow you. And so then Jesus goes off on them in verse 39. He says, then the Lord said to them, or him, you Pharisees are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and wickedness, fools. Didn't God make the inside as well as the outside? So clean the inside by giving gifts to the poor, and you will be clean all over. Uh, this dinner party is going really well, isn't it? It's like, ooh, I don't think I want to be here anymore. Again, Jesus is hitting them where it hurts. He's saying, you're so focused on the rules that you don't care about the people. You're, you're so worried about the way they look on the outside. You, you don't care about what's happening on their inside. And by the way, that's not just for them. It's for you too. You're worried about what you look like on the outside. And yet you're not doing what you should be doing. So you, you, you're a mess on the inside. And, and, and in fact, he, he brings up this one point about their giving habits. He's like, you're so focused on what you look like on the outside that when it comes to giving, you're like, you know exactly what tithe you're supposed to give. You know exactly what offering you're supposed to give. And you don't give too little, but here's the deal. You still don't give too much. You make sure it's perfect. And so you're not going to be generous if, if someone needs help. You're, you're not going to give more because you're like, man, I gave exactly what I'm supposed to give. Again, here's this group that's more focused on the rules than anything else. And then Jesus goes through these may know them as woe statements. The translation I'm using uses the term sorrow. But look at verse 42. It says, What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. What sorrow awaits you, Pharisees, for you love to sit in the seats of honor in the synagogues and receive respectful greetings as you walk in the marketplaces. Yes, what sorrow awaits you, for you are like hidden graves in a field. People walk over them without knowing the corruption they're stepping on. Again, Jesus is calling them out on their mess and saying, you care more for rules than you care for people. You are more worried about power and honor, but you're corrupt. And not only that, because you're so corrupt, you're corrupting the people that, that you're supposed to be leading. You're corrupting the people that you're supposed to be supporting. You're supposed to be helping. And here's how the Pharisees re responds. Verse 45 says, Teacher, you have insulted us too in what you just said. 
It's kind of one of those moments where they're like, Jesus, you hurt our feelings. And in today's culture, Jesus would have said, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'll take all that back. Please don't listen to anything. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. But that wasn't Jesus, right? Here's what Jesus says. Look at verse 46. He's like, yes, what sorrow also awaits you experts in religious law. For you crush people with unbearable religious demands, and you never lift a finger to ease the burden. I love it because Jesus agrees. He's like, yep, I, you're right. I am insulting you, <laughs> and I am doing it on purpose because you deserve it. And so again, he lists out these woes, these sorrows, and he's like, you are in trouble because the rules and, and the burden that you are putting on the people, uh, that's not the way this is supposed to work. This, this is not what God had intended for humanity. You ask so much of the people, but you don't help them. And you can just continue to give them more and more burdens to carry. And, and now this was just a hand-washing ritual. Uh, this happened in every single rule that was, that was out there. Another example of this would be the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was a day God said, hey, you, I want this day to be holy. And, and that was God's day. This was your, your day to, to be resting in God, to, to rest with God. But what had happened was the religious leaders had added more burdens to the people and to the Sabbath day. Uh, in fact, let me share a little bit with you with one of these rules. Um, and there are many, many, many rules for the Sabbath day, but here's one of those rules. You, you couldn't carry anything, okay? You, you couldn't carry anything in your right hand, in your left hand, in your bosom, or, or on your shoulder. That was part of the rule. Now, you kind of get that right, but they, they continued on. They continued to add to this. Here's what the, the rest of the rule says. Um, but he may carry, okay, but he may carry this object or burden on the back of his hand or with his foot or with his mouth or with his elbow or in his ear or in his hair, if he got it, or in his wallet mouth downwards or between his wallet and his shirt or in the hem of his shirt or in his shoe or in his sandal. Can you kind of imagine people on the Sabbath day trying to get from point A to point B? I mean, there's only a certain amount of distance you could walk, but they're bouncing stuff on their elbows and stuff sticking out of their ears. I mean, they're like, we're trying to live by this rule, but man, this is, this is so many extra burdens that you've, you've put on us. And then you multiply that by all the rules and all the laws that were out there. Here are these ordinary, normal people, and they're just trying to survive. They're just trying to survive day to day, and yet they're carrying these intense burdens from the religious leaders of their day. Here's the catch, though. The Pharisees knew all the loopholes. They, they knew how to skirt the rules. And so as they were telling you, hey, what you're doing is wrong, you're a sinner, you're in trouble for this, guess what they were doing? They are living the best life ever. Because they would skirt the rules. They wouldn't follow those rules. They wouldn't carry those burdens because they knew they were too hard. And this is what Jesus has come to them about. He's like, you cannot continue to do this. Scoot on down to verse 52. He says, what sorrow awaits you, experts in religious law, for you remove the key to knowledge from the people. You don't enter the kingdom yourselves, and you prevent others from entering. Says you've created this world that you're happy with. You've put these ideas into place that you have manufactured. God came in and God was like, hey, here's these Ten Commandments. I want you to follow these. I want you to, to live by them. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders have come in and they've, they've expanded on God's directives. The problem that we found is that they were missing the amazing things that God was saying. They, they were going to miss the amazing things that God was up to. Why? they were so focused on those rules and regulations and the law they wanted the power 
they, they wanted the control and they lived this life full of corruption uh, what was the outcome of this conversation verse 53 it says as jesus was leaving the teachers of religious law and the pharisees became hostile and tried to provoke him with many questions they wanted to trap him into saying something they could use against him they were angry right which makes sense because Jesus is fighting against the system that they have in place. He's, he's fighting against their religion. And in fact, the word there, provoke, if you look at the Hebrew, uh, it, it actually means that this, this, they were trying to hunt this wild beast. And so this wild beast they were hunting, they were trying to trap, was Jesus. They were trying to catch Jesus. Why? Because he was this incredible revolutionary. And he was hitting them right where it hurt. For about 1,500 years, religious leaders had been adding laws and rules to what God said. Hey, this is all you need. Jesus shows up on the scene, and he's like, this is what I believe in. Oh, by the way, I'm God's son. And so I believe in this, and this is the life you should live, and you should follow me. And, and he was willing to lead people through this change in their life and this transformation. And in the end, he died because of this revolution that he was leading. Now, we hear this today, and we may think to ourselves, yeah, this is good. Jesus, you, you should fight against that, and I'm, I'm glad you did. I mean, uh, you should fight the system. You should fight the Pharisees. And we can kind of look at ourselves and think, man, I'm so glad that's not me. But I think that for many of us, we're really still not different or much different than the Pharisees of this time. And the reason is we're so focused on religion and we're not focused on, on Jesus. If we go back to the Jewish structure at the time, what you will find for the Pharisees, religion was more important. Um, it, it was kind of the structure that they had this process. It was The temple was really the, the first thing that was most important to them. Uh, this was supposed to be the place that God dwelled. This was the, the place that you would go to to worship. I mean, going to the temple was like the ultimate thing that you did every single week or every single time that you could, and specifically the temple there in Jerusalem. And so the temple was, was the main place and the main, really the main thing for them in their, in their religion. And then you had the laws. The laws were kind of the next piece to this. This was the, the structures in place this were the rules that you would follow and this was where the religious leaders came in they were like hey your job now is to, to follow these rules and laws now if you went to the temple like you were supposed to do and you followed these laws the outcome was that you could actually then have this relationship with God I don't think we're much different today than the Pharisees of that day and here's why because I believe for many people who are followers of Jesus, uh, the church has become the most important thing in our faith. Because the church is the place we go to, right? We come to church on a Sunday morning, we, we do it here in person, we do it online, whatever it may be, and we worship together, like, ah, oh, man, this, this is it for me, this is the, the main thing. Or, or maybe you're checking out a church, this is a place to go, and we ask that question, does it connect with us? And in a place like this, so transient, I mean, we see so many people come in and out, and, and we kind of get that, we understand that, we're used to that, but, but the church is like the ultimate and then we show up and it's like, all right, what's, what's the mission of the church? And that's kind of the next step in the process. What's this church all about? Do, do I agree with their mission? And, and if we do, then we're like, yeah, you know what? I'll stick around. The aftermath of this is Jesus. 
because we, we were like, hey, if I, if I like this church and I connect with the mission of this church, then I'll actually love Jesus more. But what happens when maybe in your mind the church lets you down? What happens when the church doesn't do something that you think the church should do? What, what happens when maybe something you've requested the church to do and the church doesn't do it? What, what happens when the methodologies change a little bit or a lot? What happens if, if the church talks about a topic that you have a totally different view of? What happens if the church talks about sin? Right? And we're talking about sin and it's a struggle that you have and you feel like it's, it's kind of hitting you and somebody's picking on you. What, what happens at that point? Well, you know what happens? People say, hey, I'm done with the church. I don't want to be a part of the church anymore. I, I want to move on. And when we say, when we're in this process of church mission Jesus, when we're focused more on the church and the church we feel like lets us down, we connect that to Jesus. And you're like, oh, Jesus let me down. And because the church has let me down, Jesus has let me down, and many people walk away from the church and they walk away from their faith because of that. I don't know that in my life I have seen this play out more of this sort of church mission Jesus lineup than I have during this, this pandemic. Um, I was making my daily trudge on Facebook about a week and a half ago, Facebook otherwise known as Satan's Playground, right? Uh, but anyway, um, somebody I know had posted something, and, and they're a follower of, of Jesus, and, and I like them, and they're not from this church, by the way, so you can stop sweating. But, um, but they were posting something about wearing masks, okay? And, and they're talking about the tyranny of wearing masks and government overreach and how, you know, they go and they live in Virginia. They're like, hey, we go into stores and we don't wear masks. People stare at us and we just stare back at them. And and I don't really, honestly, I don't care what you, you think about the mask thing, the social distancing thing. You got an opinion, I got an opinion, that's fine, go for it. That really didn't bother me a whole lot. It bothered me a little bit, but it didn't bother me a whole lot. But there was a response to that post that somebody else who claimed to be a follower of Christ put up that, that really got to me. Because they were sharing how they won't support any church that makes you wear a mask and, and here at the journey you know it's a mandate from the state we're like hey we're going to wear a mask and until we not wear a mask anymore and we're going to do social distancing the best we can but, but 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 that's beside the point what hit me hardest was what they read and we're gonna put this on the screen too but they wrote these words they said by the way the church we are attending has almost doubled in size since december because people are desperate to worship in person with no mask and no social distancing Many of these new people specifically chose this church for those reasons. Build it and they will come. I read that and it like, it broke my heart. Because these questions kind of come to mind. It's like, are you desperate to worship in person because of no mask and social distancing? Or are you actually desperate to worship because of Jesus? And I think those two things are very, very different. But then it was the excitement of this individual, like this church has doubled in size. Listen to me, any church that doubles in size, I get excited about because in my mind, it's like you're doing all the right things. This is incredible. And so then the question is, why? Is it because of Jesus? Nope. It's because you're reaching more people far from God because, man, I can get behind that. And now that's not the reason. Oh, it's because of the mission of Jesus. You're following the mission of Jesus and you're living that out. No. Why is this church doubling in size? Oh, it's because of mask and social distancing stance that they have. And because the church is doing exactly what this individual wants, and they was like, okay, I can kind of accept the mission here. Oh, whew. now I can finally 
worship Jesus. I don't get that. Uh, you may agree about the whole mass social distancing thing. Again, I, I don't care about that. Everyone has those opinions. I think we're missing the bigger issue here because I don't believe we're any different than the Pharisees when that's kind of our line of thinking. In America specifically, we've got so caught up in the idea that the church is the most important thing, that we, we do everything we can to save the church. And we'll only connect to a church that fits every little criteria that we have. And if that church is good for us and their mission is something I can follow, then I can finally worship Jesus. But I think that's why so many people leave the church today. I believe so many people leave the church because the church is the most important thing. And some of us, we've been taught to believe that, right? We kind of grew up in that, that what we experience here on a Sunday morning is the most important thing we can do. We not much different than the Pharisees, we go to the temple, right? We come to the church, we're a part of what's happening here, and we experience this, and, and again, the church is most important. But if the church lets us down, if it has a, a little bit of a different view than, than we do on a topic, or if it challenges us in some way, or they don't do quite what we want them to do, in the end, we leave the church, and for many people, it's not just leaving the church, but we, we also leave that relationship and that connection with Jesus. In some ways, we can care less whether Jesus is involved or not. Um, as I talk to my pastor buddies, one of the things that we keep talking about is how uh, it reminds us during this pandemic how terrible the church is at something like discipleship. Uh, the churches are good to get people in the door. We're, we're good at outreach. Uh, we, we have great programs, but, but we're really bad about discipling people. And as a church here at The Journey, we know we're not great at that. And it's something that we are focusing on this year. As we go through this year next year, we're really going to work on being better at discipling people. Not so people will stay here at The Journey, but so people will be more focused on who Jesus is. And fully experience the transformation of Jesus in their lives. What are you pursuing in your life? Are you pursuing rules, ideas? religion, a church, or are you pursuing Jesus? Jesus didn't come to say, yep, keep the temple first and the law second, and then you have this relationship with God. Jesus didn't come to say, hey, focus on the church and then the mission of that church, and then you can follow me. He said, no, this is the way this works. He said, I'm first. It's like your job is to follow me first. And by the way, if you put me first in your life, you will live out this mission I gave you to go into the world, to make a difference, to tell people my story, to, to teach them everything I have taught you, to, to disciple them, to baptize them. Man, you do those things that I've called you to do. Guess what the outcome is? The church. And at that point, the church is being what the church was supposed to be, and it should be even to this day. It's the outcome of us working to focus our lives on following Jesus with everything that we have. The way it should be is Jesus, the mission of Jesus, and the church. And so are we pursuing the church or are we pursuing Jesus? And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor here at The Journey, I struggle with this. I, I can get so caught up on the church and thinking, how do we get bigger and how do we get better and what does growth look like that I can sometimes put Jesus on the back burner and I have to re-engage and refocus. I'm like, oh, Whoa, 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 I gotta stop. I've got to focus on Jesus first. And then I focus on that mission. And 
And the outcome of that is the church will be exactly what God intended it to be. And I have to ask myself, am I pursuing the church or am I pursuing Jesus? And maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus and this could be a struggle for you too. That you're pursuing the church and, and you're not fully pursuing who Jesus is. Well, well you're called to pursue Jesus. And maybe this morning it's just a reminder to re-engage with Jesus, to refocus on, on who Jesus is, to, to begin to, to make Jesus the, the, the main thing in our life again. And, and if we do that and we live that mission out, then the things that happen in the church, and when I say the church, I, I just mean church in general, here at the Journey, but beyond that, any church, then the church will be what God created it to be. What are we focused on? And maybe there's others of you, you're here today and you are focusing on the church and you're living that mission out. Here's what I will tell you. You are making the journey a better church. And if you're part of another church, you're making that church better because you're doing exactly what Jesus intended. What Jesus was fighting against 2,000 years ago, this idea that religion was the focus and, and the temple was the focus and rules were the focus. No, Jesus was supposed to be the focus. And so maybe for you, you're living that out. Man, keep doing that. For others, you are, maybe you're far from God, and, um, and you're pursuing other things. You're pursuing stuff, you're pursuing the world, you're pursuing a, a career. I would invite you to pursue Jesus. Don't pursue the church, don't pursue the journey, pursue Jesus first. Learn what that looks like, and, and begin to let Jesus transform and change who you are. Uh, that's what we are called to do to follow Jesus fully. And so maybe for you, one of your first steps to take is baptism. And we talk about that here at The Journey, and it's an important part of our spiritual pathway that we take. And so we invite you to do that. Say, hey, I'm just kind of learning. I'm just taking these first steps and following Jesus a little bit, but I, I want to take this step. And uh, man, we'd love to talk to you about baptism. Uh, if you're at home watching online on your screen there, there's a connection card. You can click on that and uh, you can let us know, hey, I'd like to have a, a, more of a conversation about this. What does this look like? If you're here in this room, there's a QR code in the seat in front of you. You can take a picture of that and you can sign in there on the connection card. We'd love to talk to you about that. In fact, on Easter Sunday this year, we're working on some plans for Easter, but we're planning on having a baptism Sunday. Uh, and we invite you to be a part of that. I think right now we got two or three people who are going to be taking that step that day. And we're excited to watch people take that step. And so we invite you to do that. But, but in the end, we get to choose uh, whether we want to continue to follow and get stuck in the rules that are out there. Uh, do we want to say, hey, the church is the most important thing to me? Or do we fully want to experience who Jesus is? Do, do we just want to go out on the golf course and, and hey, let's just play. Let, let's have some fun because following Jesus can be the most exhilarating and fun thing we do in our life. But we get to choose. Uh, do, do we want to be stuck in religion or do we want to be free in Christ? Uh, that was that religious revolution that Jesus came to lead us in to get away from the things that us as humans would say is most important and to begin to focus fully on Jesus and to experience the freedom that comes from that. Let's pray. 
God, I pray this morning that um, that we seek Jesus first, that uh, we let Jesus be the focus of our lives, and uh, God, that that Jesus will be the focus of this church. Uh, Let us together live out the mission of Jesus to tell more and more people about the change that Jesus brought into our own lives, and and then let your church just kind of be the outcome and and the vessel of that expansion of your kingdom here on this earth and, and in heaven. God, more than anything, I pray that we are not like the Pharisees, that we're not focused on ourselves, our desires, our our selfishness, because we know that nothing good comes from living our lives that way. And so let us focus on Jesus. Right now, in our present and in our future, in the life we have in front of us to come. And if we do that, the church will be exactly what you've called it to be. In Jesus' name, amen.